Hello and welcome to the one, the only, the most important retrospective of your life. This is the most important thing you'll ever do, dear listener, is listen to us talk about Mass Effect. Truly, it's the most important thing. The levels of escalation to these intros, like, God. Don't worry, by by the end of this series, I will be telling you why your life has changed forever. Thanks to Norm DFM, the only, the one and only Mass Effect retrospective out there, giving you all the the hot deets on what's going down. I am your co-host, Eric Van Allen, joined, as always, by my other co-host, Kenneth Shepard. I don't know why I always describe you that way, my other co-host, as if there is a co-host that exists beyond you. It's strange. Never thought of it that way. Now it's really there's, bothering There's me. a ghost now. A ghost with us. Our co-host is you, dear listener. Our, our, <laughs> our constant co-pilot, our ED, aboard the Normandy. We won't fall in love with you. Don't worry. Uh, this week, <laughs> this week, <laughs> uh, we were supposed to have a guest on, uh, but Cass Marshall from Polygon and Heroes Never Die uh, was not able to make it, uh, and we, we kind of ran out of get a, get out of jail free cards because we're getting near the end of mass effect 2 and we just don't could not find a time that would work so um we're looking into ways to have her on later on in the series uh we are evaluating that as as things go on because the format of the show is always fluid because uh ken and i are fickle people <laughs> we, <laughs> we just kind of fly by the seat of our pants here on normandy fm but we will still be talking about the loyalty missions for jack and jacob we we really went for the uh, the name alliteration this week. We really liked it. Just rolls off so, the tongue that way. It really does. And so I think we should start with possibly the less spicy one, uh, which is Jack. Um, we will get spicy later on. Don't worry. Um, but uh, Jack is. I feel like Jack is a very polarizing character mm-hmm. in Mass Effect. I feel like a lot of people come out of Mass Effect either loving jack or hating jack there it does not ever feel like there is an in-between and mm. i will i will fully confess now in in front of god and my listeners that uh i did not like jack the first time i played mass effect i mm. just i i didn't get her i thought she her whole thing was just kind of the the game writers needed to write an edgy tattooed punk girl like they were really uh, i mean this was I think this was still kind of an era in gaming where you saw a lot of that, like games like the darkness were coming Mm -hmm. out and it was just really hip and cool to be super edgy all the time. And, uh, I, kind of saw Jack as emblematic of, uh, Bioware getting into that a little bit. And, And granted mass effect two is a much, uh, grittier darker story than mass effect one by design you know, it's it's shepherd is working in the terminus systems 
uh, they're they're working out uh, beyond the scope of you know, they're they're kind of not space cop anymore. They're more uh, kind of freelancer, roaming gun, Ronin sort of thing going on. So uh, the first time around, I did not like Jack. I, I did her loyalty mission because I was a completionist, but I never really delved too deep into her story. And because I was God, when I played Mass Effect 2 the first time, I would have been in high school. Uh, I was still emotionally stunted. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Significantly less life experiences than I have, you know, than I have now. And I was surprised going into this loyalty mission, uh, specifically how much I was seeing some some parallels to many things that we talk about nowadays. Uh, So I want to hear from you, Ken, what your thoughts are on Jack going into this loyalty mission and, and kind of her character and the way it sets up uh, who she is. So when I first played Mass Effect 2 back in high school, there was part of me that was resistant to her as sort of like... It was, I was at a point in my life where like performative sort of... portraying your own suffering really got under my skin. Um, and that, that comes from like being a teenager that was well into the emo phase that had friends that were also in their emo phases and it was like this constant battle between like everybody to like who is the most sad who has had the worst life um in parts of me like now I don't really feel that my perception of Jack in that lens has really gone away but it's more about now I see it as just a way of her to sort of like dealing with her trauma before anybody else can try to deal with it for her if that makes sense yeah, there is, um, I think a lot of the things I saw originally were very much, I just kind of saw the tattoos and I saw the aggressive, uh, rebuffing of any attempt at, uh, you know, a level of personal interaction, much less intimacy, uh, between Shepard and, and Jack as this sort of, oh, she's just this edgy punk goth chick who just doesn't, you know, that's, that's just her personality. And, and maybe it is you know colored by the fact that we are a little bit older that now i'm seeing like okay this is a person who self-medicates they're a person who is trying to deal with trauma who is maybe raised in a uh non-normal um an abnormal uh situation growing up and they've just kind of always tried to find a home but are always afraid that they are going to be the you know maybe blame themselves a little bit for for what has transpired uh there was depth that's hinted at that I really feel we actually get to see a little bit of in this um, in this loyalty mission. So I, the other thing about Jack, I think it's important for us to bring up because the, this is kind of the first time we really deal with it, is that it's the first time that Bioware really puts you uh, with two crewmates who are completely at odds with each other. Um, mm. Jack and Miranda are on completely separate teams. You know, I I do enjoy that Jack always calls Miranda the cheerleader. Mm. Um, that's always like really funny. I I, I always enjoy that. But uh, her whole thing with she wants to kind of get back at Cerberus for what uh, they did to her as a kid, and so she wants to go to this biotic facility where she was locked up as a kid that she had broken out of, uh, and basically you know blow it to smithereens uh, is a really interesting setup. And it it reminds me a lot of just I I was trying to delve into whether it was touching on 
themes that are similar to Miranda's in a way, because um, one of the common threads that we are very much going to get into later in this episode that I've, I've been noticing over time in, in Mass Effect 2 is uh, children dealing with the shadows of their parents mm-hmm. and, and their parents' wishes for them, how their parents raised them, uh, what what they want versus what has been laid out for them. You know, we already had this uh, hinted at with with some other characters. Uh, Grunt, you know, was raised in a tank, was very much made in the image of Warlord Okir. Uh, Morton doesn't really deal with it, uh, but it's more like he is the parent who is dealing right. with a child who has kind of gone a wayward way, and we will, again, have that later on. But I think that... Uh, fathers and sons mothers and daughters that's very much a common thread in mass effect 2 especially in the loyalty missions and Mm. so um that was kind of the thing that was kind of trying to 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 suss out in in jack's mission is is where that plays in and how that uh affects it because she doesn't really have a family to speak Mm. of you know her parents are gone i believe she was she from an orphanage or um or they just kind of took her from her family um, i don't actually I don't, remember if they specified i don't um, think it was a race situation like the last jedi where they basically like barter her off for drinking money but um i basically jack has no parents and the only family that she had to speak of she saw them all killed at a young age and kind of uses as, as test subjects for her um and so a lot of this loyalty mission going through the ruins of this place is surprisingly somber Mm. there's very little combat to speak of there's maybe i want to say like three to five encounters uh Mm. but there's not a lot of big bosses or anything like that i think maybe a mech showed up at one point but i honestly like can't even remember uh we're, we're yep. both so far removed and also that like that kind of becomes the standard thing of okay you're fighting cerberus you're going to gradually escalate up the ranks and then it ends with the mech and then that's the last thing you fight uh that's kind of the the boilerplate cerberus thing but uh tell me what you thought about just the atmosphere and the setting and, and the way it kind of works you through this this facility my takeaway was i really wish this had been because like there are two loyalty missions where there is no combat and I wish this could have been a third, because it sort of, it feels like an obligatory sort of thing that they put at the very end to, like, have to fight these scavenger from, like, the blood pack. Um, I don't know, like, Mass Effect doesn't really have, like, it, it does have these, like I said, these two other missions that don't have any combat, but it doesn't have, like, a lot of instances that are just, like, environmental storytelling, which I feel like this would have been a perfect place to do that, because a lot of it is Jack just, like, looking around the place, giving, like, telling these stories about when she was here and the things that she remembered from when she was a kid being experimented on. Um, and I thought those parts were just, like, generally more effective, but it's, this is a video game, and at some point you gotta shoot something. Um, so, yeah, like, I just... I, I really wish this had just been a non-combatant thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's... It's funny how often now I play games where I'll you know they're very combat centric games and there are sections where i wish they would have just stripped away any notion of having to fight an enemy like one of my my hottest takes of all time is that i think bioshock infinite would have been a better game if there were no guns in it Mm -hmm. uh 
and I, I stand by that take to this day. <laughs> um, of course, Bioshock Infinite could have been a better game. There are a lot of things made different, but <laughs> that's, that's neither here nor there. Uh, but the the thing that I, I think about a lot, um, and especially I go back to it because uh, I replayed it recently, um, Titanfall 2 has the mission where you're kind of flipping through time periods to get through this, uh, the ruins of facility versus when it was still a normal facility. And you can shoot things if you want to, but the game very much incentivizes you to just move and, mm. and use movement to get through it, almost like Mirror's Edge. Uh, right. And at the time, and even now, that's such a thing where I'm like, why aren't there games that are just... Bel- less afraid to say you don't have to shoot things here like the the predominant method of dealing with things in so many games is that you kill them i mean that's just i I feel like that's a fact you either kill them or you beat them up you defeat them in some way Mm. and it makes those moments when you take it away i'm not saying that you don't you know we should remove all violence from games please don't clip that out kotaku in action and and hit me with that (laughs) um my mentions are good right now don't worry um but i i do think that in a game like mass effect which is a lot of combat uh it it stands out a lot more when they say okay this is we're going to not make you shoot things now we want you to focus on on what's happening here and there are actually loyalty missions where they do that and it makes them so so good because of it and and it just it blows my mind that this was definitely a situation where i'm like oh there's cerberus forces here for some reason or no it's not even certain it's it's blood back sorry um um i kept thinking it was cerberus because i get the the mercs mixed up with cerberus in this game a lot because they didn't really differentiate those those two types of uh combatants until mass effect 3 and they added all the weird weird cerberus hybrids and all that kind of stuff (laughs) um we'll get into that don't worry i've been playing mass effect 3 and uh i forgot that there were some really weird units that just kind of show up and without explanation (laughs) um so uh yeah i do wish that there was less combat but you you made another mention in the notes uh that that was something that i felt coming out of this too which which is that this whole time you're kind of as the player you can kind of suss out what the real purpose of this facility was over time you know as you see the way that it was structured how all the kids interacted with each other versus with jack how jack was kind of isolated but in a place that was at the center of the facility uh how jack was subject zero but there were all these other subject numbers you catch up pretty quick to the fact that this was a facility made for jack that jack was the reason all this was happening and she does not catch on as quick and so it kind of becomes this frustrating push and pull of like, come on, you're almost there, buddy. You almost got it. (laughs) This close Uh, to coming, coming to a realization. Yeah. And it really takes, um, finding the, the one person left alive here to the one guy that's kind of been hiding out uh, a rush. I believe his name (laughs) is. Um, but then you find out that he's, Oh, he's bad news. He's Mm -hmm. not good. Tell me, tell me about Aresh Ken because you made a choice here. And so I basically, his his um, what he wants to do is he wants to basically remake the facility and then basically try it again, and to like break it down. What happened if they would 
get kids from all over the galaxy and basically experiment on them to make sure that their experiments were safe to do to Jack so to make her this biotic powerful superhero of a person mm-hmm. um so as like this kind of he starts to go on about what he wants to do Jack's like I, I still want to blow the place up and then Shepard's like well, what do you want to do with him and then he's he even is like just leave me here this is where I belong and she like throws him down in like a executioner stance and that that point you get the dialogue wheel and my I use the intimidate option to tell her to kill him basically the same reason that I let Morden kill Malin in the last episode was if this guy hurts any biotic children I had a chance to stop this uh, see I left him stranded because just shooting him is too easy you gotta you gotta let him blow up with the facility you gotta go for the dramatic you know flair you my shepherd has a flair for the drama I think that's that's what it it is right where he says I just want to be here if you're gonna blow it up I'd rather like get blown up along with it I thought that's what the implication was but maybe does he get away then if you just let him go I would have thought that he did but I don't mm, let's Time for a I haven't check. seen so I I've played through Mass Effect two and and I'm working on Mass Effect three I haven't seen mention of him yet so unless it's like hidden tucked away in an email somewhere that I just Let's like lost over. Uh, if he was spared, he survived the destruction, and later he takes up work on Elysium. Shepard re- receives a news alert stating that Arrest saved a shuttle of children evacuating the Reaper occupied colony, dying in the process. Oh, okay. So he ends up being a hero anyways. See, you gotta believe in the best of people, Ken, because this game doesn't want to make you feel bad about choices he made. So, Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, oh fair enough. Don't worry, there are choices that, that are actual consequences. But, uh... Yeah, it's, um... I, I think this is a good point to, like, pivot to... Uh, Jack as a whole because she's just this really interesting character and so like so full uh, disclosure uh, Ken brought up a very good point before we started recording this that uh, while we've talked about the characters that Ken and I uh, are romancing a lot specifically their romance interactions um, I'm romancing Liara and Ken is romancing Caden um, it's it's important that we also discuss what the other romances are like. So we've been YouTubing uh, the various uh, romances for each of these characters just to see how the dialogue and options play out, how they affect Shepard's character and stuff like that. And Jax is interesting. I'm, I'm almost going to say that it makes me like her a lot more than I did during the normal talks with her. So I'm curious to, to how you feel about it, Ken. So, like, no, you can tell me I suck. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> My thing with Jack is like she, like Morden, she is this character that I, like as as Shepard, have like a very strenuous relationship with. That I don't know that because like the, like I said, the way that she sort of handles her own trauma is to sort of like air it out in front of God and everybody, and also kind of compare her trauma to your trauma and be like, mine is bigger than yours. I was experimented on. Nothing could possibly uh, match up to that. And this is a line that's like right after the loyalty mission that's really perfect for like just the way that I perceived this relationship with uh, it was something along the lines of like, you're not you're not the only one of the past, Jack. Everybody has to deal. And then she's like, you know, I bitch and moan and you tell me to grow the fuck up. 
I like that. And I was like, great, we're on the right, we're on the same terms. So when you see that relationship sort of more sympathetic, which is what the romance basically ends up being, it is nice to see her kind of break down those walls and realize that like she doesn't have to be this person that has all these like all these multiple defense mechanisms up to like prevent her from having to be like at all emotionally intimate with anybody um and then like she, one of her things is like she talks about how she was in a relationship with this guy at one point and she let herself care and it was a thing that made like it like stacked on top of all her trauma it was like just a reason that she should just always keep people away um so from that perspective I like I think the Jack romance is one of the healthier ones in a way like it I mean as healthy as it can be all things considered because a lot of the other ones in Mass Effect 2 they kind of they seem very based around the fact that oh we could possibly die on the suicide mission we should fuck like you know that's the long and yeah. short of a few of these relationships and with Jack it, it feels like the power dynamic's a little lopsided just because it seems like Shepard is sort of like this savior for her um but it, at least it, it feels like in the end the relationship has been meaningful and added something to yeah. both of their lives that's kind of the thing that I so I, I will admit I had my assumptions I was like okay well Jack is kind of the poster girl for what mass effect 2 is trying to be all like dark and gritty so i bet her thing is probably just like oh let's let's fuck and then whatever man casual sex and down in the (laughs) the basement of the normandy which mean it can (laughs) be if if you choose to go that route you can at some point just have casual sex with her but uh the thing i enjoyed was definitely the dialogue that was very much you know her being cautiously open to a level of dependence and intimacy that was still like a safe amount for her to where she could still feel mm-hmm. like she was um independent and not reliant on someone else not needing someone else but okay with letting someone else um rely on her and and vice versa just a little bit and right. and definitely compared to the other mass effect romances which we've talked about how this the ways that this game kind of tries to force you into these flings uh, that are very much, you know, like, oh, we're going to go on the suicide mission, and this this ship is one giant flying a horny summer camp adventure. <laughs> so, um, you know, might as well. It It's a stark contrast to a lot of those um, outside of uh, the, the two Mass Effect 1 uh, crewmates that you have, which are obviously going to have a lot more um, investment and, and baggage involved. Uh but the especially the stuff with the human squad mates I, I found as we have gone back through these and obviously a, in a past playthrough i've romanced uh miranda and all of it is very much just like very cursory very um touch and go it's it's mm-hmm. not uh it's it's not really invested in the way that you would expect and so um it's it it was a nice surprise to the point that i i almost was like oh man maybe i should do a jack playthrough because that's I, this is sweet i like this her character gets a lot more development here and especially uh we, as we'll get to it in mass effect 3 but her character i feel like really shines even though mm-hmm. she's barely in that game she has moments that just really make her shine and really good character writing and perhaps because they have 
the limitations of okay she's really only going to show up at these specific parts so this is you know this is how it's going to play out make the most Um, of that time yeah and and maybe that helps a little bit but overall jack one of the biggest not the biggest but one of the biggest surprises for me so far in aspect two Mm -hmm. and, and just the way that my perception has changed about her um now we're going to get to the one that didn't surprise me whatsoever. And in fact, my perception might have worsened uh, since we, uh, <laughs> since we like, did this. I said, it, I said it at the beginning of the, when we started the season, I was absolutely willing to give Jacob Taylor the benefit of the doubt. But it's, it's worse than I remember. And like, I don't know how that's possible. It's like, the... <laughs> The constant thing that I've seen over the years is people just like, oh, Jacob Taylor, he's boring. I think that is, like, underselling yeah. the litany of yeah. problems that are in this character's story. It's real bad. So, I, I'm i going to preface this with two things. A. I do not think any of Jacob's story is good. That being said this loyalty mission is possibly the closest it comes to being good it is it is the peak in the low low valley of quality that is jacob taylor um that also being said we do need to make a caveat in that talking about jacob taylor is going to inevitably bring up some discussions about race and ken and i are both white dudes so yes, we are. take it with a grain of salt I am in no way, you know, I have not experienced those things. So I just, I can only talk from my perception of seeing this. That being said, boy, did they botch the representation here. <laughs> um, we we stumble upon this loyalty mission and the whole setup is that Jacob Taylor has this dad that's been an absentee father for most of his life. Um, has never really been around and then mysteriously, you know, after not being around for years completely disappeared uh and has been missing for i I think it's 10 years uh yeah yeah it's five ten yeah i definitely think it's 10 years um all of a sudden a distress beacon from the ship that he was on goes out uh so he wants to go investigate it uh for him he just wants closure he he just wants to finally kind of make sure that he knows what happens so i want to like before we even get to the specifics of the mission itself, this might be different for Femship. So I'm going to ask you this. Is there any point before this loyalty mission, like, becomes available that he mentions his father? There, I want to say there is one mention of it if you really go digging in his dialogue wheels. Because, I, you know, for podcast research purposes, I with every character i tried to exhaust every conversation option mm. i could and with femship uh who i am playing in this playthrough um i've never done a femship playthrough before and let me tell you i used to think that anders in dragon age 2 was the peak of this character is thirsty for the player character and then i met jacob taylor as femship <laughs> and jacob is non-stop like he, he's constantly like oh, you know, there is decorum and stuff, but, you know, maybe we can head to the broom closet. And I'm like, what? Like, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Oh, it's, it's, it's just not good. And um, 
yeah so anyways the, the bad writing leading up to this aside i i think if you i think there is at least one dialogue option that mention makes mention of his father never being around when he was young and then you get most of the exposition of this going into the mission and then obviously while you are playing the mission um you you land on the planet you find the the wreckage of a ship and you as as you were exploring it you meet some people who you presume at first to be native to the planet in some way and then gradually discover that they are the refugees the um the the mem- the crew of the ship that has been surviving for these past 10 years you also discover that the local fauna and flora has a toxic effect on the human brain that apparently affects different genders different ways because science wasn't yeah (laughs) so i thought i thought they hmm, okay i might just be misremembering because i thought they just okay it's all all the men become hunters and become gradually more aggressive as time goes on uh and all the women become very passive uh impressionable um almost like they're hypnotized and and they start to like worship uh the the hunters it's the subtext gets pretty bad <laughs> pretty early loaded. <laughs> yeah um so so we got the setup okay they they're they're there and we're kind of uncovering so we're like okay something went wrong they've been eating the local stuff it's not good it's it's going to do damage it could cause permanent damage over time we got to get these people some help and then you kind of discover that there is a splinter in the group there that the the hunters got really mad because as you discover the top brass of the ship kind of just took advantage of the situation and we're like well we've got enough food for us to not get toxicized and brainwashed and all that so let's just ride this one out this seems pretty good and not activate the distress beacon that could save all of us and then oh so, uh, so we're already in a bad place here there are they have basically determined that they're going to have this this harem of impressionable women infested by brainwashing flora and the the subservient hunter men who who are just kind of their servants who just kind of hunt and they're they're just over there they're doing their own thing they don't really care about that they care about their own food and they care about the harem uh and ken it gets worse (laughs) uh and and then we we find out that of course predictably the top brass all realize that hey food's going to gradually run out and also why does this dude get to monopolize the situation when i'm way smarter and i should make him my servant and stuff and so they start infighting then you find jacob's dad and find out that he turned on the security systems and everything to murder that a ton of people okay so this is the the one part where i was always hazy even when i played this i feel like i never got the answer so um did he turn on the security systems to murder the other guys or did they turn on the security systems and he like turned them against each other i, I forget how who turns he, on the security systems for he why. said that he did to like he, he turned them on himself like, or yeah and because he says at some point like when you're going in because he thinks you're a rescue team for him um he says uh 
yeah, I had to turn those on to uh, keep the hunters away. So you'll have to take them out on the way. Because, like, apparently you can't turn them back off. I don't know. Yeah. But then you, you kind of figure out that it was like, oh, a happy coincidence. All the people that were poised against me have been killed by these things. So, excellent. And... And you just... Ken, this is so bad. It's really, really bad. Because it's this, like... It, it, it feels like they're just straining to make Jacob's dad the worst possible person. Like... Like a cartoon villain without, like, an actual yeah. motive. Like, I mean, like, there's a motive. Obviously, he wants to, like, keep himself alive. But, like, it's, like... When the other, like, solutions were there, why did this person suddenly just become a piece of shit as soon as they got on the, this planet? Like, and, and you're just kind of, you're going through this, you're talking to all the different women, and they're talking about how they they were, like, assigned to different officers, mm-hmm. and there's, like, favors that they do, and it's just, they strive so hard to to make Jacob's dad evil and and, and not there's, just there's... not evil just like pure you just want to beat the shit out this guy but there's in a like way that's zero... so gross yeah there's like zero silver lining to anything that happens here because like yes Jacob's dad is a fucking terrible like all these people's lives it's like wasted for a decade a decade of their lives yeah, gone to this and... shit and I mean and a lot of them probably won't even recover just because like I'm sure that a lot of this shit's just like I mean, maybe, like, in the beginning, they could have gotten some help and maybe reversed the effects, but this has been going on for so long. They've, they've got to have acclimated to this at, point, at some point. And, and so I'm going to give some, some charitable leeway here in that what I think this loyalty mission was trying to do was that Jacob's character is supposed to be, you know, is, they kind of set him up as he is this career man who's never really known what he wants to do in life. He's always been kind of freewheeling. He's never been tied down anywhere. Um, and he's, he's kind of wary of ever being tied down. He kind of just enjoys getting to do what he does. And the thought of actual responsibilities outside of his work uh, kind of scares him. He's, he's definitely like a worker, uh, a worker bee. He likes, you know, the, the work atmosphere. Mm-hmm. And look, I identify with that. I've been told by previous editors I have a pathological <laughs> need to work. I get you on that. Uh, and so I think I think the idea here was that you get to see Jacob see some of the worst qualities of him of his own in his dad. And he's he sees his dad, who was also a career man, who was never there for Jacob. And he gets this chance to finally let off steam and ends up committing these horrible atrocities when it, I, as I honestly, chari- like you, you go that, first. <laughs> that's a very charitable read. I feel like, because I don't feel like any of that, like, like from a, like on paper, that sounds pretty good. Like that sounds like, yeah, I'm redeemed everything. I think there was an idea, like a general tone of what they wanted to set up with this mission, how they wanted it to play out the sort of themes they wanted to elicit. Again, we talked earlier about uh, fathers and sons, since the father, that sort of thing. That is definitely at play here. That is the idea that was that was gone for here. But in practice, like I would, yeah, because I here's one of my like the one of the many of my spicy hot takes of the show is I would argue that the reason 
Jacob's loyalty mission and the character of Jacob Taylor as a whole really suffers is because I don't really feel like this mission is about him. I feel like he just happens to be related to the person that it's about. And so, like I said, his relationship with his dad is like basically non like not even a it's a non-factor up to the point we get this mission. Um, and all he really gets is closure because after the fact, the majority, like at least with male Shepard, I don't know how it works with him, Shepard. The majority of his dialogue is like, oh, I'm good. We don't need to talk about it. We'll bore a dancer with it. Blah, 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 blah. And so like, I think my, my takeaway from Mass Effect 2 is that I think the reason that Jacob is not probably, he is absolutely the worst of the human squad mates is that it's not his, that his story is the worst of all of them. I feel like he just doesn't have one. Because unlike Jack, Grunt, and Morden that we've all talked about before, what really changes for Jacob after this loyalty mission? Incredibly, nothing changes. He just, he, he, I think you have the choice to either shoot or arrest the dad. I think that's the choice that it gives uh, you. Or does we, it even let you kill him? I don't know that you can, I don't know that you're allowed to kill him, but I, um, I said, I said to Jacob, like, I would shoot him. And then Jacob says, yeah, but I'm not taking the shot, hands him a pistol, and we walk away. And then Jacob's dad shoots himself. As, like, the hunters are coming Oh. Oh, so that's... See, I always saw that option and thought that that was, like, you know, Shep tells him to kill him. Okay, so that's actually... Oh, okay. That's... Hmm. Boy. I... Yeah, you, you bring up that Jacob doesn't seem to grow from this specific instance. And in FemShep conversations later, and, and I went and I YouTube because I, w- I won't go be a romance in Jacob, not after that shit. Come on now. I got Liara. I got Liara. Um, <laughs> you don't leave Liara on the bench. <laughs> it's, uh, but I went and I YouTube the, the romance and it's just really basic, like, hey girl, what you doing sort of stuff. And mm. it's, of all the things that we just talked about with Jack, the way that her romance is kind of this gradually breaking down a wall and trying to develop some level of intimacy while also, you know, not, you know, trying to avoid some of the things that, that have scared her or harmed her in the past. Um, Jacob's is so incredibly casual and also so not related to anything that happens mm-hmm. in the game. Right. And I feel this gets highlighted even more in Mass Effect 3 with the the storyline that plays out there, but I don't like the character that Femshep becomes when you romance Jacob. Right. Because Femshep just kind of becomes this like fawning mm. uh head over heels like oh, you're so dreamy sort of thing and it's right. like I we we talked about this before the podcast started and one of the things I really like about the Liara romance, male and female Shep, is that it's very much a partnership. These these are two very capable yeah. operatives that they work together on things and then they'll have flirty, cutesy asides mm-hmm. and, and little moments, personal moments, but then they're they're out in the field and they're they're fighting alongside each other and even, you know, they they know how to talk business and then still have a little bit of like cute interchange and stuff like right. that it's even in Larry like Shadow normal Broker, people they really, like yeah they're written like people. normal people and not like damn riverdale romances like and porn. that does a disservice to riverdale yeah it's um it's just painfully bad and yeah jacob is maybe 
I had always just seen Jacob as kind of the the harmless cardboard cutout of Mass Effect. That it was just he, he was there to fill a spot on a roster mm. you needed. Uh, I think he's a soldier. <laughs> I don't even use him on missions. He's a vanguard, <laughs> I think. He's, technically, he's a van. That's probably why I never used him. I was like, this dude does the same stuff I does. He probably does it worse. So I'm not bringing him. <laughs> um, uh, he he was there to fill a slot is is what i saw previously and now that i've spent time uh delving into what his romance is uh spending more time actually like critically thinking about his loyalty mission i just can't believe this is a thing that exists it's really bad it's really really bad and i just yeah oh god oh boy if I hadn't done the suicide mission yet, I'd be rethinking some of the choices I made. That's all I'll say. <laughs> yeah, Jacob, you uh, you go check out that big, scary-looking Terminator thing. Climb in its mouth just to make sure that it's uh, that it looks all right in there. <laughs> I just like we talked about this way back, like season one. There is this notion that the human characters are the boring ones, but like in specifically in the case of Jacob, I feel like that is a very easy way to get out of, like, really talking about the problems that they have with this character. Yes, because yes. it's... It runs deep, and it's very clear that, like... Especially with things that happen in Mass Effect 3, it's clear that there is, like, a point where they were like, who cares about this character anymore? Because they make very gross decisions about just, like, the way that they handle carryover saves, and... Whew. And and also just... <sighs> just can't get over it it's so bad um just the the way that the character interacts with Shepard and like what their defining characteristics are and all I can think of with Jacob is that his defining characteristic is constantly just like oh like playboy soldier like just kind of like you know he's 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 always working hard for for the company he's a company man but uh he's also just very fleeting and he doesn't want to be tied down anywhere and he's always like questioning whether the thing those things could have been good you could have gone places with that and there's there's so much more subtle writing that happens in this game that is so good and i'm really looking forward to the episode when we get to talk about it because i there's some writing in this game that's really incredible um and I just kind of wonder if they they had a jar filled with this juice that was like the good writing juice, and they drank <laughs> all of it, and then they were like, "Oh, did we finish Jacob's story yet?" Whoops. <laughs> <sighs> okay, so we we have one more running thread that I I I wouldn't say we're gonna wrap it because it is highly probable that it's going to come up again in future episodes. But uh, we probably won't bring it up when we have guests on. So for the time being, I think it's it's high time we talked about Anthem. So Anthem is now out to the public. It is Bioware's newest game. It is a schluter, a shooter-looter, kitten-kabooter. Um, and Ken here has played through all of it now. Uh, we, we kind of voiced our concerns. Through the, the, the critical path. Yeah, the critical path. It's but that's that's another discussion entirely as far as like end game and and raiding and there, i don't think there's raids in it there's basically like I, how much destiny have you ever played or, or how much do you know about it i played about 10 hours of it back in 2014 so okay, like when so it, you, like it first came out you know what a strike is then yeah like, 
Yeah, so there's basically strikes, but there's no raids to speak of. Like like large scale missions with weird uh, gameplay things that you have to complete and puzzles that you have to figure out and stuff like that. Uh, there's not really any of that in Anthem yet. Uh, but that being said, you have played through the critical path, and mm-hmm. Ken, I'm interested to hear your takeaways from Anthem. <sighs> okay. At the top, I'll say I did not like Anthem, but I didn't hate every second of it. So, like, the thing that I don't I don't know that Anthem is good, but I think from the perspective of somebody that is like this Bioware super fan who loves Mass Effect, Dragon Age, um, really enjoyed Jade Empire, and despite the fact that I don't like Star Wars, I liked Kotor. What I played of it, um, it's interesting. It is more interesting to me to see the points at which Anthem tries to be a Bioware game, and on top of this thing that's very much not like anything that Bioware's ever done before, because... So, the way that the game is structured is, like, there is this hub world called uh, Fort Tarsus, where you can talk to people, like, this, it's kind of like this community, it's not so much a party, as it is, like, people that have certain roles and jobs that you can go talk to, and, like, have somewhat, like, meaningful quest lines and not, not dialogue in terms of, like, the Mass Effect way that we know of it, like, with dialogue wheel and choices to be made. Um, but it it kind of functions as, like, sort of like a Normandy or a, like, the, uh, like, Skyhold and Inquisition. It's, like, this place that, like, you get away from what is, I guess, more like the common action to, like, just talk to people and sort of get a sense of the story as it quote-unquote get a sense because I think that in general Anthem's story is pretty bad like actively bad and sort of in the same way that Destiny was that it was like a bunch of it was this word salad of terms that I I can't really tell you what like if you asked me to sum up Anthem's story in like two sentences I don't think I could do it um but the thing that's interesting to me about the way that like I said it kind of like has this sort of party dynamic with just the people that live at uh, Fort Tarsus but it feels like there's a wall between both your character and the, that character and the person you're talking to. Like, a lot of the dialogue feels like you're being spoken at. Or, like, it's more like... I was thinking of trying to think of a way to describe it. It was, like, relationships as spectacle as opposed to actual relationships. Like, these characters mm-hmm. talk at you. They... Like, your um The dialogue options you get, and they're, they're binary, and... You do talk, they, right? You do kind you, of like you have do, actual you do talk. conversations. Okay, but in general, they are very they're, like the options are usually fairly similar, or it's like one extreme or the other, like normal person with manners versus an asshole. Um, Does it feel kind of Paragon Renegade? Uh, I don't feel like it's quite as direct. Like it's sort of. Like, I don't feel like, regardless of which choice I ever picked, it felt like my character's personality was divergent in any way. Mm, it was just... more of just, like... It's more like it just progresses the the conversation versus sort of, like, establishes either a relationship or Flavors a the response rather than changes it. Right. Yeah. Um, that being said, I don't feel like any of those characters... Because, like, there is this really weird disconnect between your character and the one that they're talking to. It doesn't feel like most people have meaningful relationships at all um there is one character in particular who I really enjoyed my time with his name is Owen but 
because there is that wall, like not not only not from like just a romantic perspective where I couldn't pursue a romance, but just like in general, our, it felt like our relationship was already written, and I couldn't. No, regardless of my dialogue options, I couldn't change or sway it in one way or another. Um, and so like that's the thing is it's interesting to me to see it sort of like trying to be a Bioware game, but it feels hamstrung by whether it's like I I can't presume to know what the guy at the Bioware were thinking. But it feels like they wanted it to be as, like, non-invested as possible. And to, like, have this sort of, like, uniform experience for everybody. Versus I mean, that's, where... Not to... I don't want to cut you off, sorry. I, I just wanted to say that um, it's... That is maybe the, the biggest difference between Mass Effect and Dragon Age and this game is that theoretically everyone is kind of playing through the same storylines. All these characters that you're seeing are also people who have gone through the same exact experiences as you they're basically like alternate timeline alternate universe Mm -hmm. versions of your exact character and so the idea that they have to funnel every player through this through the same gameplay experience and narrative loops without any level of choice or, or really any level of identification with their avatar beyond just picking some presets which is is what i saw was was one of the you don't really have character customization you just pick from kind of a, a gallery mm-hmm. uh it seems like a that's a thing that bioware fans would not like <laughs> and from that perspective and just like the way that like choices and relationships don't seem to deviate from anything it just overall the game just feels like a massive waste of bioware's talents and this like even when there were like these good character moments and like they're on a surface level i don't know that a lot of the writing is necessarily bad per se it just feels like the level of investment is just not there like the level of again like i can't speak for bioware but like just the level of passion for like this world and these characters and sort of like building this world just isn't there and it's um i don't like there were moments where like i'm like oh i'm what is this weird rumbling of excitement inside my stomach to like go back to fort tarsus and talk to people um Especially because, like, it just... You finish, like, these quest lines and these routes, and, like, people get a modicum of closure, but, like, I don't really... Like, everyone feels disconnected in a way that sort of, like... Mass Effect 1 did to an extent, because, like, they didn't really do much to, like, breed a sense of, like, camaraderie amongst everybody else. But, um... Yeah, and that's that's only, like, half the coin. The other half is, like, the actual playing of the game. Um, uh... So... I was, for probably a third of the game, like, totally adamant that I wanted to play alone. Because, like, I just... Like, even if I play multiplayer games, like, I'm play, like I've played, like, something like 60 hours of Overwatch, I have literally had two matches of that that I actually spoke to anybody. Or, like, even had my voice chat on. Um, I was very adamant in Anthem, like, I'm, no, I'm gonna brute force my way through this, I'm gonna play it alone. It is absolutely not scaled that way. It is not, like for all the posturing of, like, strong, strong alone, stronger together is, like, this tagline. Both of the game, and, like, the, they say it a lot in the game proper. It's, like, it seems to be some sort of, like, rallying cry. Uh, it, the, the game's not structured at all to be played alone. And that sucks because, like, they have all these weird, I, I guess I'd call them oversights, where there are, you can miss out on chunks of missions in terms of, like, dialogue mm-hmm. and cutscenes if somebody goes ahead. So, like, I, like, I probably ruined some people's experiences because I, 
because I knew that was a thing, I was always the one going ahead because, like, it, the game is basically following me at this point. Because mm-hmm. s- since I'm ahead, I will hear everything. Sorry to everybody that's behind me. Like, that's not going to make it in time before the, their loading screen pops up for them to get transported to where I am. Um, that stuff just seems so bizarre that, that you would segment out story like that, but also that you wouldn't have sensible points because destiny does that where you know there might be dialogue in the middle of a strike or a mission or something but you kind of have those designated like start and stop points where it's like okay everybody gets caught up then the story thing happens now everybody starts going again and instead it seems like there's just one like you said there's one player who is getting the story and then everybody else who is kind of being dragged along and if they're Mm -hmm. too far behind they're suddenly missing out on stuff because it's got to jump ahead to catch them back up and yeah and it's like the the one of the multiple things that's like annoying about that is like when they drag you forward it's behind a loading screen so you don't hear like any like the ambient dialogue that's happening so that's by the time cool. that like by the time that you're like back in it somebody's like midway through a sentence like which was probably several seconds behind what you last heard mm-hmm. um and so, sometimes like I would spawn into conversations that had gotten midway through and like I wasn't even there when they started and it's just like I get like this is something beyond the scope of anything that Bioware's ever done before. But like, if you're gonna try and sell this game as like still something that could appeal to Bioware fans, as you know, as we exist, you I feel like you'd be more careful about these things. Just like I know, like I know people are here for our writing and our characters. Let's make sure we do like if we're gonna structure it this way, where everyone's kind of getting dragged around, we need to make sure that we have stuff in place to like ensure that everyone gets their fair share of the story here so one of one of the things that i always identify with a bioware game is that there is a level of attachment to the non-player characters the the quote-unquote companions Mm -hmm. and so far i've seen one character kind of show up frequently in people's tweets about this game um omar i believe it, or he's he's kind of Owen? the mechanic Owen, Owen is that his name Owen. okay mm-hmm. um yeah even then I can't remember his name um <laughs> I've seen him show up but it doesn't seem like you have those mainstays that you would you know recognize on site have a lot of personality and stuff mm-hmm. like that um was are there any standout characters for you in this game besides Owen not entirely I would say that there are three that are sort of like the, the quote unquote the mainstays that like are there through the majority of the game with you, and it's, uh, Faye and... Oh, shoot, did I forget his name? Halleck? I'm gonna double-check that real fast. Um, and they're sort of like... leave a strong impression. (laughs) (laughs) It's, it's a, it's a whole thing. Um, oh, that's... Yeah, Halleck, okay. Um, and so... They're there... But they're not necessarily... Like, they're not party members. They're not companions. They're more sort of like... If I had to compare them to something else we talked about, like... They're like the Futaba from Persona 5. They're sort of like this okay. person that's in your ear that, yeah. like, is sort of giving you insight and intel as they're you're They're the going people on. that yell at you on the radio during a mission. Yeah. And so, not only that, like, you're... I mean, they're... In terms of, like not necessarily screen time, but just, like, time in, like, your field of view uh, in terms of what you're doing. They're there pretty much most of the game because, like I said, they're sort of, like, they're your oracle. They're your person that's sort of, like, 
if you don't see them, they're like a they're in your ear the whole time. Um, right. And then there are sometimes they get swapped out for like people that live at Tarsus. That are, like it's like if you go through like certain people's quest lines, you're kind of You'll get talking their to them through the whole time. Then, yeah, yeah, basically, yeah. Um, but with the exception of Owen, who I still feel like gets a major like. No spoilers, but, like, the second half of the game does a major disservice to him, I think. Um, I can't... There's nothing here that sort of, like, screams... Like, if we made, like, a top 25 Bioware characters, I don't think any from, anyone from Anthem is going to be on it. And, like, to an extent, that seems like it's by design, right? Like, you... They they want the main thing that you're sort of... Uh, identifying with the game to be, like, the javelins and the, the quests and the... All the, the again the strong strong alone strong together sort of mantra yeah, that they have the that, friends you make along the way yeah and I just I don't again I, that feels like a waste of Bioware's talents because like even if the stories are not that interesting the writing in terms of like the dialogue is still pretty good uh, like Owen and I, I'm citing the same character a lot because those three are the ones I spent the most time with and um, Halleck is sort of like this bitter old rival of yours that, you know, that's a spoiler I want to really get into. Faye is kind of, she losing her mind to ambiguous things in this world that they never really explain. So she's kind of like wary of everybody and it's kind of, like, in theory, like, on paper they're interesting, but like, the game doesn't spend enough time with any of them to like, give you that sense of like, that these characters are going to be people that you're going to... Like, Anthem's going to have, you know, amples of content that comes out later, but, like, we're going to see these characters again, but, like, am I really excited to? Is that, like, a thing that I'm super... Like, in the event that I played more Anthem, is that what I'm excited about? I don't know. And even by the standards of the talking voices, you have characters that have stood out in other games that have had similar roles, like Cade 6, but... You, you really need that charisma to make it happen. It doesn't sound like it's happening here. And just generally, like, there's not enough time spent with any person. Because, like... Sounds like it th- lacks th- charm. That that really just what it sounds like is that this lacks charm and individuality. And it just kind yeah, of exactly. sounds like, like a game that you have played before. It, there's just, like, a fundamental understand misunderstanding about what Bioware is best at. And... I get, like, to come back to the, the sort of, like, individuality and, like, ownership of your character, you don't see this person's face for, except for maybe, like, 45 total seconds of this game. And, okay, this... Mm. So I picked my preset, which was, you know, the, none of them looked like me, which sucked, so I had to, I just picked a dude that was attractive. And probably, like, 10 hours into the game, there's, a, there's finally a scene where, like, his helmet opens up and you can see it. It was not the same dude. It was, like, the, <laughs> like the default dude. And it, the, reason that the, the reason that that's, like, so frustrating is because, like, all the Tarsus stuff is first person. Which, I don't know why. I don't really yeah, know why they really went that route. it's really strange. It's really weird. And, and that's, like, I would have known the second I booted up the game that, like, the face was wrong somehow if that had happened. And so by this point, it's like... Great, I haven't been, I haven't been playing as the character that I've been imagining this whole time. I could start over, but I'm still not gonna know if it took right for like ten hours. So, like, if the game the game can't even be bothered to like represent the shit that you pick, 
So like, where like where is the ownership of this character and like this, like, the thing about that is it just seems so unnecessary to like cut a person off from the character that way, and like, if like if you made the Tarsus stuff third person, I feel like even with the the not great dialogue choices, like it would still add something to it. Like it like I just. Like, when I, I keep saying it's a waste of Bioware's talent, but it also just feels like a lot of that, based on the way that this game is designed, feels sort of, like, done to themselves? Because, like, they... Hmm. Like, from, from like, a direction standpoint, like, we talked a lot about in Mass Effect, the Mass Effect 2 episodes where, like, there's been sort of, like, this real, like, focus on, like, cinematography and just, like, composition of scenes and stuff. That's not there, and it's, like... The, I was watching, like, a scene unfold, and it occurred to me, this looks like a Far Cry game. Like, this is, like, what the... <laughs> like, this is what the scenes play out like, because you're seeing them first person, and everyone kind of, like... It's all happening around you, but you're, like... You know, like, you've got a, a field of view that you can see, and it's just, like... I don't understand why. It, it feels like they... And, like, I, I think it was Kurt at VG247 that, um said in his review that it feels like they made a lot of decisions based on the way that Andromeda sort of was kind of like dragged to the mud for it's like animations and just like because like from like a facial animation standpoint everyone looks great there's not a whole lot of uncanny valley and which is like a that is a feat if like you've got characters that look this photorealistic because like it's not really like I mean there's like architecture and like artistry to like the art style but like from a sort of like photorealism standpoint it is basically that like it's um more so than like Bioware's ever done because like even though like Mass Effect and Dragon Age they aren't sort of like they aren't necessarily stylized in the way that we would call something like Persona or something it's just like there is sort of like a general art style to like the characters and the way that things look where Anthem just straight up looks like I said it looks like a Ubisoft game that is like striving for photorealism in a way that Bioware's never done before. Like, it looks great, but it also there's like a, there's a spirit missing here in just the way that it like, for all the jankiness of Andromeda and like to like basically all Bioware games, like there's a, a heart to that, you know? Like, I'm not mm. saying like, it's not, it's not like I'm saying, oh, the broken looking game is like, there's a, it, it's got spirit, kid. No, it's just more like you get a sense that like there is it feels crafted in a way that this just sort of feels like VR, almost, like a VR movie. I mean, it's all about you. That's I think that's, like, the biggest difference between Anthem and, and Mass Effect beyond, you know, like, the, the superficial mechanical level is that on, on the Divas level, Anthem wants you to be the star. Not, like, your player character, but you specifically, the person holding the controller, and it wants right. to focus on the things that you do. Whereas... Mass Effect, you have that layer of removal, which is, in some ways, you can say that's not as immersive, but I think in many more ways, you can say it lets you roleplay a lot more. It lets mm-hmm. you get more involved because now the shepherd is not anyone else's shepherd. It is mm-hmm. your shepherd. 
Shepard, and you you have spent time like building this character up. You have changed their appearance between games because the engine got weird. You, <laughs> you have you've defined who they romance, how they respond to situations, but even outside of just you know dialogue choices and stuff like that this is a character that you have carried with you and you Mm -hmm. have invested into there is a level of investment that comes with making a commander shepherd and playing through the series with that character but when the character is kind of just a stand-in for the person holding the controller Mm -hmm. and you never really have that level of oh you know i'm i'm having to invest in this character in the game no it's just me it's just i'm, I'm playing and they're like hey player get out there um, they, they they literally don't have a name like they are called freelancers yeah they just the call you freelancer game. all the time which like look at me next time come on now <laughs> <laughs> uh so that's that sucks it sucks to hear i'm probably not going to jump into this one at least not until i, I see like price drops in the inevitable like six months from now somebody will write like anthem's finally getting good and that's maybe i'll <laughs> jump in then when it's like 20 bucks and, and, and all I would, this come out so i would say just like i think as a person who i i haven't played destiny since launch like i hated hated destiny like if you remember from like when we worked together back then like i hated uh-huh. that game and i feel like anthem has a better starting point because like overall like i might not have loved the game like it still feels in terms of like the amount of content that's here it feels relatively complete like it's in just like a game in itself um and like i feel like it deserves a shot to get to like a death like the anthem 2 like to get to a point where like i mean sure like um the player base will probably funnel into like the diehards by that point like the way that kind of destiny has like destiny as like, as, as much as it's been around, like, it is kind of, at this point, it's not, like, a household name in the way that, like, it might have been initially. It's kind of funneled into, like, the diehards and the people that, like, really yes. invested yeah. the time into it. Um, and I think Anthem will probably be the same way. Because, like, I don't... But I don't think it's going to be I'd... on the same scale. Is, is from, what I, from what I'm seeing, enough people who would have... And that's the thing, is you're trying to, like, cater to a, a, a community that already has a game that arguably better serves their needs. You know, when, you're, mm-hmm. when you start trying to make a game for the diehard, uh, you know, loot table community, you know, that's all well and good, but think of how many games there are right now that are of better quality, that have more things to do, like Warframe, yeah, it, like... Path of Exile, Diablo 3, Destiny, like... Yeah, it just... it it feels late like yeah it's like several years late and if you come to the game late you know you can come to the game late come in late with with you know some you know bandwagoning thing like apex legends came to the battle royale game late by all accounts you know they're a year removed from what i would say the the peak of battle royale was which was you know when PUBG and fortnite were kind of slugging it out mm-hmm. every other week you'd see oh is is PUBG losing to fortnite or is fortnite going to lose to PUBG? but now apex comes in and apex is just a freaking really well-made game it's a really mm-hmm. really good game and they made a lot of really smart choices in the process and it's and now it's basically not only revived that discussion but it's arguably given Fortnite not a complete run for its money but i would definitely say that Fortnite is maybe going oh we have competition again and mm-hmm. and that's like a testament to what a triple a studio with tons of talent can do and so that's maybe the the largest shock that comes out of this is seeing bioware kind of try to 
take the same swing at a very popular genre. You know, Schluters are very popular and and they definitely they have a a really big potential audience especially on twitch and stuff like that you know people who need to stream eight hours a day that game suits their needs very well because you can find eight hours of things to do every day in those games but it it just doesn't seem like they they came out with their a game and so now i'm i'm just kind of sitting here like yeah you know I'd, i'd like to support bioware i want bioware to do more things but i also don't want to necessarily buy this game because a i don't want to play it and b i i don't want to send a message that i that this is what i want from bioware right and and so at that point i think i'd rather see like surveys go out and and you know let the players say hey this is not doing what we wanted to do or it's not where it needs to be but i think either way bioware's kind of got this tied to their leg for at least the next year if not another beyond that and i think like if they can what I pre- like this is the market might not speak to this, but like if they can like tweak the game to like kind of cater to like a core Bioware experience, I think I'd be down to, like to play it again, like maybe in a year or so. Like uh, it's it'd be a massive undertaking to like record new voice lines, but like make like bring romance. Like it's the but how do side you make, note. How do you make romance in a game that doesn't have a finite ending? Because we we have that with Mass Effect where. The whole, the whole idea of romance, you have this neat narrative where you can kind of space out the big moments and then you just kind of have a play out as you go and then there will be a finite ending and that's where you can finite end the romance. But how do you play a game where you're trying to have this bespoke, written, recorded, animated romance happening in a game that you aren't supposed to be playing for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and there's potentially no stuff happening? Do you start to add in with every new content update like, oh, there's a new event you can go do with your romance partner and and like how was the cost of that you know like you, you're having to bring in the the actors and all that to do more content and that just ratchets up the cost like i, I i'm not trying to to poo-poo you i think that would be really really well, good think, but well it's also I mean, like can they invest that <laughs> like i mean the game is structured in a way where like it still could theoretically work and i mean i'll, I'll say now like in a weird like you can tell it's a bioware game because there are points like very distinct points where it's like there should be a romance like option in this dialogue that i can pick from right now um so like i don't know that like the game is structured in a way that i think it could still work they would probably have to like it would it kind of have to it wouldn't have to be post game per se but it'd have to be like sort of spliced into the story as it is now or they do like sort of um Dragon Age 2 did a thing where, like, the DLC was, like, you could play it at the end of the game, but, like, it was very distinctly said to be at a certain point, like, in the game. Like, you played it in Act 3, it was like, this happened in Act 1. Like, this was a mm. thing that is, it was like, this was this other thing that we did before the Aeroshock fucked everything up. Um, so, like, I don't really know what their content plan is for that kind of stuff to, like... It's it's kind of like like you say the anthem is like kind of like tied to them at this point, but I feel like to an extent their old fan base is just as tied to them. I feel like if they if they want to double down, this can also be a Bioware experience. I think they have to release content that speaks to that, um, and that means things like like an anthem equivalent of like Lair of the Shadow Broker or Citadel or something that just like shows that they have investment in these characters and like sh- like. 
they they need to add something that makes your character feel like they have a relationship with anyone because they just don't feel that way at this point. Anthem, not the Bioware game we were looking for. That's that's really what it feels like. Well, that's going to do it for this week for Norm DFM. On that somber note, we will end. But we do have some good news. Next week, making her triumphant return, although she was not here previously, Natalie Flores, a popular freelance writer of several outlets, including Paste and Into the Spine, uh, will be coming on the show to talk Garrus and Miranda. We're excited for that. We're very excited. Uh, we get to have more guests on. And also, it's Garrus and Miranda. Who doesn't love those characters? Who Two doesn't? lovely people. Just incredible people. And, and a lovely person on to talk about them. Yes. So, until next time, we'll see you on Norm DFM. Oh, my beautiful.